Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for new comics on sale April 24th, 2019. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent Dale. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And if you are just joining us every week, we read all the new Marvel comics and then we tell you why we're so hyped for them. We go through and tell you our favorites. We tell you everything that's coming out on the print side, the digital side. The collections, uh, some stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited, all the good stuff. Uh, but we need to get into this week because we do have 24 issues to cover. The first of which is uh, one of our Age of X-Men books. We're getting close to the end mm-hmm. of uh, this little sort of diversion into a, this alternate universe. It's really been cool. This is Age of X-Men Extremists number three, written by Leah Williams, pencils by Georges Janti, inks by Roberto Poggi, colors by Jim Charlampidas. And this one, you know, is about this uh, team that sort of helps out with different problems that are going on. They are not the X-Men team, but the, uh, you know, this Department X team is really, like, helping finesse things for the bigger X-Men group, for the mutant world. But Really, the cracks are showing in what they're doing now, and maybe not everybody is fully on board with the idea that love is bad, relationships are bad, connection is going to destroy everyone. Uh, Especially, you have Psylocke and Blob connecting, and what I really dig about it is their sort of romance is more about connecting as individuals. Not It's not like a smooching and, and, and like getting together type of thing. It's like... They are connecting, maybe even not romantically fully. Maybe there's like maybe, 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 but just the idea that they are two people who can talk to each other and hang out and do something that neither of them has really had in this world. It's really cute. Uh, and then you have on the flip side of that, Moneta. She's this hardline, terrifying woman who wants to eradicate all the the bad stuff as she sees it. And I think because she speaks mostly in French. That makes her more terrifying and, te- and intense because I don't mm-hmm. fully understand her. I like I legit pulled out like Google Translate <laughs> at a couple points to be like, "What is she saying?" I'm she's so right. so angry. Right, that's great. <laughs> My first book this week is Amazing Spider-Man number twenty, and this is Hunted Part Four. It's written by Nick Spencer with pencils by Umberto Ramos, inks by Victor Olazaba, colors by Edgar Delgado and Eric Arseniega, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Something I, I've loved so much about Hunted and I continue to love is how it's given the opportunity to really expand this story and focus in a really big way on characters other than Spider-Man. Obviously, we want all the Spider-Man action we can get. Particularly here, we have kind of black suit Spidey, which is awesome. But we also get the opportunity to really focus in on and sympathize and empathize with different characters that we don't always get the opportunity to. In this case, uh, we're talking about Black Cat, who has been a big part of the story. He's been a big part of the first 20 issues of this run as a whole. We're talking about Black Ant. We're talking about the son of Craven the Hunter. We get to explore a bunch of those character dynamics, one of which, like I mentioned, that I'm most fascinated by is Craven and his uh, his, his his son. We need, we need some way to describe them more accurately. So it's like... Like Cravey Juju, like yeah. a junior, like what do we got? Cravey Cravey. I like Baby Cravey. Baby Cravey. That's great. Great. Yeah. Baby Cravey and Cravey Zaddy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is, um, I'm sure if you go ahead and pop that into the old Bing search, you'll find plenty. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Definitely don't do it while you're at work, yep. I'm sure, though. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, we, we uh, finished this with a really cool dramatic turn and uh, yeah, loving Hunted. 
Yeah, the the father son relationships I think are particularly good when you have Cravy Zaddy and uh, Baby Cravy mm-hmm. over on one side, but then you have the lizard and his kids yes. on the other, and how different they are. Really fascinating stuff. All right, up next is my first pick of the week, and it is Avengers number eighteen. It is written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Justin Ponsor, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Oh, man, this is so rad. This is just a book focused not on the Avengers, but on DC's greatest heroes. Yeah. Yeah. And it is Ed McGinnis who is the perfect person to draw this team, having plenty of experience with these type of archetypal characters. Yeah. Uh, you know, years spent drawing characters of this ilk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, Amazing squads of superheroes, yeah, super whole, powerful. like leagues of teams, yeah. And of course, we're talking about the Squadron Supreme of America, yeah, operating out of Washington D.C., yeah, the District of Columbia, yeah. A uh, quick bit of business because the Squadron Supreme, the original Squadron, was the Squadron Sinister. They, they first appeared in the late '60s, but then you had a heroic version, the Squadron Supreme, showing up in Avengers number 85 in the early 1970s. Tucker, why are you? You look like you're oh, gonna about to giggle I, so hard. I, I don't want to interrupt. All I'm sa- uh, let me. I'll I'll explain more in a second. But I'm holding a pencil, like a number two Ticonderoga pencil. And uh, anyway, get back to it. Okay, <laughs> it's bringing me joy. Uh, then. Uh, you know, you had them show up in the 70s uh, in the pages of Avengers, but then there's, you know, they were obviously a, a definite riff on the ideas and the concepts of our distinguished competitions, Justice League. But when you go to the 80s and you have the Squadron Supreme series by Mark Grunewald and crew, it took on a whole new level. It brought the series into basically looking at what if superheroes were in the real world? What if the Squadron Supreme operated in the real world? What would happen? And it's such a revolutionary book. If you've never read it, I highly uh, suggest it. Super influential, really well done. Just something for, for anyone who's never read it to check it out. But now we see, we've seen these characters come back over time and in different ways. Hyperion, most notably having shown up in like Exiles or in Jonathan Hickman's Avengers or tons and tons of places. Uh, Nighthawk showed up. He had his own series and a different riff on the character. And this looks like a kind of new version of the group. There's a lot of mystery to them. We see that they're connected to the U.S. government as well as Phil Coulson. Phil Coulson, everybody thought was dead. Well, now he's back. How? Why? Well, you're getting a sense of that here. And the end of the issue has really got like a huge bit of revelation around all that. And this issue is them dealing with the War of the Realms. You got this awesome two-page splash of them being introduced, but then you get this wonderful in costume, looking so regal, so cool. I would honestly love a full series following this team with the mysteries that we are exploring here, with like the why and the how. It's so weird and so rad. Totally. Um, I didn't want to interrupt earlier when I was having fun with my number two pencil. Uh, 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 first of all, thing thing about me is I love to have fun with number twos. Uh, anyway, um, but I I I, I'll, I will reveal now why I was having fun with this pencil, and I'll do it right after the break. I'm just kidding. We don't take breaks. Maybe I'll explain it in a couple issues, though. Ooh, cliffhanger. Anyway, we're moving on to another Avengers comic. I'm so confused right now, but I am all in on this. All right. 
Uh, we are moving on to another Avengers issue. This is Avengers Edge of Infinity, number one. It's written by Ralph Macchio with art by Andrea DeVito, colors by Laura Villari, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And this ties to last year's Shards of Infinity, right. uh, one shot which came out last April. I love uh, Ralph Macchio's take on Earth's Mightiest Heroes. It's a, it's a little bit of a different configuration than in the main series. We have Black Widow, who is a, a big part of this story. But, oh boy, there's one thing and one thing only that got me most excited about this issue, and you are drinking out of him. Yeah. Yeah. My baby boy, Modoc. Yeah, the famed- Sweet, little, <laughs> tiny, sweet baby. <laughs> Smells like a newborn deer. He just- <laughs> You know, it goes to that little salt lick every morning. Yeah. What are we talking about? Uh, the machine organism designed mental only, organism. Uh, the mental organism designed only for keepness. Yeah. With a K, it's Modoc, ladies and gents, and I'm referring to the famed Modoc cup that you'll see in every single. <laughs> Everything of, that I do, yeah. <laughs> every meeting I go to. This is a yeah, this is a great issue. I I love Modoc as well. I think he brings something to the table that very few other Marvel supervillains do. He has this amazing combination of like being a sincere threat, but also being just so deliciously, delightfully kind of like over the top and fun and dastardly. He's just such a unique character. It's really uh, honestly, it's a villain that feels like so Marvel because it has somehow has all of those things that should never work. It should never work in a story, but because of the way the Marvel Universe works, because of the tone that everything Marvel is set in, it works perfectly. And we get all of that in here. We get a kind of leveled up MODOK, which is awesome. I love to see a huge, like, the big superhero team go up against a villain like MODOK. Uh, yeah, so much fun. You probably meant to say a villain such as Modoc because, Tucker, there is no villain like Modoc. Yeah, you're right. Up next is Black Panther number 11. This one is by Tanahasi Coates and Kev Walker with Mark Deering on Inks Colors by Yava Tartaglia, letters by VCs Joe Sabino. So this one is really like a big tension-building issue as we're getting to a big apex of this story, Bast. Is making her move, revealing a whole bunch of stuff for T'Challa and about T'Challa. Mm -hmm. We get to see Manifold finally like getting to the fore in here. Uh, really, as we've been talking about with this arc, like really cool designs, wonderful creatures, and, and machinery, and the way that uh, Kev does sci-fi is yeah. sort of like paramount. Like yeah, there's so just good. nothing like it. Next up, we have Black Widow number four which is written by Jen and Sylvia Sasca with art by Flaviano, colors by Veronica Gandini, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Oh, yeah. And it's my second pick of the week. Oh, of course it is. I'm, it's I, so good. It is. Mm, I love a, a book that just sounds like it needs to have a, a soundtrack that is just like the hardcore that I listen to, yeah, like yeah. Most Precious Blood or like Hatebreed or something. And it's just like... <laughs> Gets me so fired up. Youth of Today, something that makes me want to run really fast and just break down walls. Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah. Here, this book is just rage. It is fury and blood, and I love every panel and every page in here. You know, Natasha has let herself get captured by the no restraints play people, and these are just the worst of the worst who 
basically torture children and innocent people on a live stream and their viewers are these rich jerks who pay for this but she has let herself get captured by them and uh she wants to take them down from the inside so it is just glorious to watch beautiful horrifying intense action at one point she's barefoot she's weaponless and she is tearing apart a ton of bad guys in this two-page splash of it's like a ballet of violence right you know and it's they're popping off shots all around and she's moving so fast and so dangerously it is fantastic and it's so vicious and then we flip the page you keep going after that main thing and she's finishing up with them and you get to two of my favorite panels of the week which i tweeted while i was reading them and it's natasha saying quote people who prey on children don't deserve restraint and then the next panel is they deserve me and it's her (laughs) with fire behind her like blazing behind her she's got a bloody knife in one hand she's got other people's blood on her she is full of fire and rage and like this book has no romantic subplot Mm -hmm. no like sweet thing happening because it that's not what this story is the saskas made a point of that this is natasha unleashed to destroy bad people right and that is what she does there's a little touch that i I wanted to point out later on in the issue she's dressed up for this meeting but she has a veil on which is reminiscent of her original look where she wore this little black veil i just thought it was really neat i was like oh that's kind of a fun touch uh gorgeous art intense action and violence it is pretty much perfection for me totally up next is dr strange number 13 storytellers are barry kitson and mark wade with finishes by Scott Koblish and Scott Hanna, with colors by Brian Reber, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This one is super fun because it's the cosmic mixed with the mystic. Yeah. And, you know, that's such a peanut butter and chocolate combination for comics, Mm -hmm. especially because in this world you don't see it a lot. Strange is like, I know Galactus, but I've never had to deal with him that much. But now Galactus is trapped in the mystic realms, which is like setting off alarms everywhere. All the mystic like warlords are just like, uh-oh, this is not good. <laughs> so you have uh, allies forming where it's usually been hostilities, but the devourer is just messing up everything. And there's a really cool touch on the way Galactus looks. It looks almost like he's bubbling up or dissipating or something's going on yeah. with him because he's not supposed to be there. And then when he starts absorbing magic, it's terrifying. Totally. All right, we're moving to another Galactus tale in Fantastic Four number nine, which is written by Dan Slott with art by a trio of incredible artists, Aaron Cooter, Stefano Caselli, and Paco Medina. Colors by Eric Arseniega and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, Sweet Aunt Petunia. (laughs) Uh, This is a really fascinating issue because tie together some really, really interesting things happening in previous issues regarding Galactus and Doom and where the Fantastic Four are in relation to all that, kind of an escape story. And then there's like something else, a different tone entirely that we get to explore here. This quieter, more familial tone. We have a family, just people riding in a car in Arizona, 
And then we have the world devourer and Dr. Doom going down like face to face with the Fantastic Four who are doing like everything at all costs to kind of get away, to save the day, to kind of just stand any chance up against Dr. Doom and Galactus. There are some amazing, massive Kirby-esque pages in this story that are just gorgeous, so huge. I, I think it, it really shares a kinship beyond just the Galactus element with Doctor Strange mm. this week because these are just amazingly colorful, huge in terms of scale stories that really embrace kind of the the cosmic and, like you said, the mystic end of things. Uh, yeah, really great issue. It feels like this is like the the first big doom fantastic four encounter of dan slot's run it's something that you know he's been waiting to write for years and years and years and years and it has that weight you can really feel it going all the way through i love that i thought it was another great great issue of ff yeah did you see tom brevoard on twitter posted that the post office he had bought a page of aaron cooter original art mm-hmm. from fantastic four this galactus page the um post office left it in the mud outside his uh, house. So he like posted a picture. It's like a mud-stained no. page of original Aaron Cooter art. It is heartbreaking. Are you kidding me? Oh, that is awful. Yep. Wow. All right. Anyway, uh, on to Hulk Vereen's number three. This one is written by Greg Pak, art by Ario Anandito, colors by Maury Hollowell, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one is like full Hulk Vereens because yeah. you've got Hulked Up Wolverine and Wolverine Up Hulk versus Hulk Vereen. It's a it's a Venn diagram. Yeah, it is, every, it is yeah. all of it. And it, the battle's cool. It's like vicious and bloody and intense. I think my favorite part of this story is the romance between the leader and Dr. Alba, yeah. the woman who sort of created Weapon H, the Hulk Vereen. It is a surprisingly funny book when you have – like these characters tearing each other apart and all this stuff, but it, it ends up being really funny and quirky, very uh, cute at times, and is bolstered by sort of this perfect action figure smashy like thing that scratches a certain part of your brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, pencil update. Oh, tell me. There were a couple things that were making me laugh. I just had this, like I said, like an old school pencil, the likes of which I probably haven't picked up since like elementary school. I was playing around with it. One, making myself laugh with the classic rubber pencil bouncy move. I look at literally just doing it to myself over here while Ryan's talking and like making myself crack up. Yeah. That is such a classic old move. Um, I'll reveal more later about what was making me laugh about it. Wow. You're really teasing this one out. <laughs> uh, all right. So, uh, moving on from pencil stuff to Riri Williams Ironheart. Number five. This is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Luciano Vecchio. Layouts by Giafo, colors by Matt Mila, and letters in production by VCs Clayton Cowles. Something that I actually thought about when I was reading both Black Widow and Ironheart this week is how much I love how the writers and artists, how the, the storytellers of both of these books imbue these women with, with qualities that aren't like... I think the best way to put it, I'm thinking of a quote from someone I quote actually rather often, um, New Jersey native Christopher McQuarrie, film writer and director. And when he calls you up, he's like, hey, tough, <laughs> just, just want to chit chat. Just a couple of Jersey bros chatting. Yeah. Um, let's go get a hoagie. And 
I remember listening to a, a, the Empire podcast a interview with him where he was talking about um, working with actor Rebecca Ferguson on Mission Impossible. And he said to her that he would never make her character a little girl and he would also never make her character a man. And I think there's something really interesting and poignant there because there is an amazing, unique quality to a a woman superhero. And I think that's something that I, I got notes of and really beautiful feelings and, and moments out of from both Black Widow and Ironheart this week because, I mean, there are, there are absolutely moments of just incredible badass, no-holds-barred action superheroism but there's also these moments that are distinctly of the characters and true to who these people are uh and that's something that i got out of really fascinating moments in black widow and that's definitely something i got out of really wonderful moments in riri williams ironheart it's really something that's kind of hard to define it's something you feel more than you can explain uh but i continue to love the way that eve writes this character because i think riri solves problems in a way that Almost no other superhero does. I think she has such a unique and defined perspective on things and a way of going about things, way of interacting with people that are in her way, way of interacting with supervillains that is totally unique and it is captured beautifully in this youthful voice. Um, yeah, really loved this issue. Uh, yeah, I thought it was just just great stuff. Heck yeah. All right, up next is Marvel Comics Presents number four. It's my first pick of the week. Yeah, you did it. Uh, it's got a trio of stories in there. The first is by writer Charles Soule with pencils by Paolo Sequeira, inks by Oren Jr., and colors by Frank D'Armada with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, there are three stories in here. I loved the first two a lot for several different reasons. I'll touch on the first one here. 1970s Wolverine. Boom. Are you kidding? That's like, for me, that's my ideal era of Logan. He's got like the wide lapels he's got the mutton chops that are like kind of work in in time there's just something about that era that i think reflects the character in a really fascinating way in a way that i think probably could be like written about in an essay somehow but um yeah and i thought uh as we're going through this is the story that has kind of carries the through line through the various marvel comics presents issues and uh yeah i thought this was another great one uh, we're going to talk about some 70s Wolverine just a little bit when we do our uh, Polis 80th anniversary Ooh, yeah. episode for the 70s, which we're going to talk about Giant Size X-Men number one, nice, yeah. which has Wolverine sort of being incorporated into a larger world for the first time, which is pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, all right. Second story is called, quote, May the 25th Be With You, featuring <laughs> Spider-Man. It is written by Daniel Kibblesmith, art by Perry Perez. Colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. All right. Daniel Kibblesmith writing Spider-Man. So good. Match made in heaven. I think it's awesome. Also, as alluded to in the title, this is kind of an interesting kind of uh, Star Wars was released on May 25th, 1977, and uh, kind of has Star Wars stuff in it, which obviously I loved. You sure do. All right, and the third story is a Moon Knight story written by Benjamin Percy, art by Juan Ferreira, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. All right, this is the stuff, okay? This is what I'm talking about. We've been ranting and raving about Juan Ferreira for months and months and months, back to his first issue, which I think came in Old Man Logan 40-something. He did a, an arc, uh, like a three-issue arc, back then, uh, kind of fall last year, 
which was excellent. And then he most recently did, of course, the uh, Killmonger story, which I think about often because Ryan Pagos, a.k.a. Agent M, the guy that reads every single Marvel comic every single week and has done for like the last how many years? 10, 12? I don't know. Something like I'm that. Old man. Years like that. Killmonger, which was called uh, one of your favorite stories ever. It's yeah. incredible. And I completely agree. It's so good. So to have Juan Ferreira do a Moon Knight story, which I just think spiritually is perfect. I think it's a character. It's a corner of the universe. It's a perspective that I think lends itself beautifully to Juan's color palette, just the shape of his characters. And then Benjamin Percy writing, who of course wrote uh, Wolverine, The Long Night, writer of Wolverine, The Lost Trail, and the comic book adaptation of Wolverine, The Long Night, which we'll get to issue number four of that one in a little bit. I think he, again, spiritually works perfectly with Moon Knight. He has a darkness about him. Uh, ben Percy, I'm talking about, you know, obviously he has an interest in kind of occultish uh, and occultish adjacent storylines and darkness and things like that. So I think having these three elements combined was really a match made in heaven. I loved it. The way Juan colors his stuff, because he does everything. Mm-hmm. He does the whole kit and caboodle. It looks like a 70s right. production, right? right? Like, yeah. So it, to me, I can see like a Hammer film or The Exorcist mm-hmm. or a sort of like 70s horror picture yeah. in my mind when I see the way he simply just colors it. Yeah. There's you know all the things, the way he frames setups and everything. It's so cool. There's this two-page spread where you're looking from above down on action as Moon Knight tears through like a bunch of possessed people Mm -hmm. at a nursing home and like the choreography, that sense of movement and action and brutality, all of that is like that to me is like, oh, you could take off the word balloons. You still get all the entire story there, put it as a poster, frame that up, (laughs) make that the basis for whatever multimedia Moon Knight project you want to do. This is, it's right there. Yeah. Go. Totally. All right. Moving on. Next up, we have Marvel Rising number two, which is written by Nyla Magruder with art by Roberto DiSalvo, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is a great issue. And hey, we get a little bit of Quake action in here which is awesome. I can't remember. Do you remember last time we saw Quake outside of Secret Warriors? Oh, gosh. Yeah, or was it Secret Warriors? Um, a character beloved by... Wherever Matt Rosenberg Matt Rosenberg, yeah. Uh, as we see the Rising Squad go up against Morgan Le Fay, it's kind of a great combination or like clash of things to see Squirrel Girl and Kamala going up against a villain like Morgan Le Fay is just so much fun. It is that it is that strange and awesome contrast of things. Plus, you know, Inferno and Quake, a bunch of different things happening here. It's a ton of fun. Yeah. Up next is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number 42, written by Brandon Moncler, pencils by Ray Anthony Height, inks by Lebu Underwood with Ray Anthony Height and Nate Levette, colors by Tamar Bonvalain, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Has Ray Anthony Height done Spider-Man before, to your knowledge? So 
Ray worked with uh, James Iglehart on uh, his Spider-Man story for Marvel Comics mm-hmm. Presents number three, but that's a, just a short story as well. Yeah, he, he may have done something else, but right. you know, not a huge library. I was work. so impressed. Yeah. Oh my gosh, he draws Spider-Man so well. Yeah. I also really, really love the way Ray Anthony draws Devil Dinosaur. There's a really funny moment in here when Devil is huffing and puffing after climbing up a building. Uh-huh. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we have Mr. and Mrs. X, number 10. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Oscar Bazaldua, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VCs Gio Sabino. This is Gambit and Rogue Forever, part four of four. And we start the story in the Mojoverse. This is a really fun story. I think Kelly... Plus, Mojo is a great combination. I've been talking a lot in this episode about seeing creators that we love writing certain characters. I think this is definitely another one of them because she has such a sense of fun as well as such an incredible sense of drama. And uh, I think that's something that Mojo lends himself to in a very specific way, almost in a in a Modoc Modocian-esque way, almost. Sure. Sure. Almost. Uh, and then uh, enter a new story, which uh, is really, really intriguing. Did you notice how this story connected to X-Men Black Mojo, the Scott Aukerman issue? Yes. They made a little note, which I thought was pretty cool. And then it ties into the Captain Marvel story that's going on right now Mm -hmm. that Kelly's writing, uh, Rogue, how she's involved with that. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Uh, This is also a big one for Spiral, who's a character I think is one of the best designed characters Mm -hmm. we have. Um, That's an Arthur Adams design from the original Longshot limited series from like 1984 or 5. It was really neat. And like this one for Spiral, I was like, yeah, I love Spiral. She's oh, yeah. so cool. All right. Up next is Runaways number 20. And it is written by Rainbow Rowell with art by Andre Genolet with colors by Triona Farrell and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I would like to formally right now pitch a cartoon series called Gibbets. <laughs> and uh, that is just Gib, the last of the Gaborum, you know, the youngsters. Mm-hmm. Just trying foods and mostly, most likely, just spitting them out. <laughs> yeah. That happens uh, a couple times in here. They, they feed them a donut, like a Homer Simpson style yeah. donut. Yeah. I could say Homer Simpson. Oh, heck yeah. Freely you can. now, because <laughs> Disney owns Fox and The Simpsons is part of the family. Uh. <laughs> we did it. Don't. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and it feeds him this Homer Simpson style donut, and he just. Like puts it in his mouth and just yeah, yeah. lets it out. It's <laughs> yeah. so funny. There's another moment later on. But Andres, so incredible, magically picked up the baton from Chris Anka and has not missed a beat. Still Seriously. getting those gorgeous fashion bits, the amazing reaction shots, the wonderful acting, the facial expressions, and of course the old lace moments. There's some great old lace stuff in here. Like just old lace sitting there when Gib is eating the donut. Well, Lisa's tongue is like slightly yeah. like, I want to eat that donut. <laughs> it's great. There's, of course, big emotional stuff happening here. It's a very relationship and family focused issue. Gert and Victor dealing with life, Molly being a teenager, love and loss and, and people trying to adult. And I honestly, I, I wish his book came out more often. I know. You know, it's, it is every month. Yeah. On the dot. And yeah. we get it. But I, I want it like every other. Week. Seriously. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Next up, we have Spider-Man Far From Home prelude number two okay credits page get ready sit back 
Relax. Oh, I'm going to check my phone. Yeah, please. Go ahead. Uh, we have you know, the pencil. <laughs> going to have some pencil fun. Uh, the, the screenplay uh, for the story, which is which the comic is based on, is by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly and John Watts and Christopher Ford and Chris McKenna and Eric Summers. The screen story by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly. The writer of this comic is Peter David with art by... Luca Moresca, colors by Lee Lowridge, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. The assistant editor, why not, is Lauren Amaro. The editor is Mark Basso. We have editor-in-chief C.B. Zabolski, chief creative officer Joe Quesada, president Dan Buckley. Uh, reading this right now is Marvel.com associate editor Tuck Marcus sitting across from H.M. Uh, okay. Anyway, uh, this, we have fun here. That's we all have we're saying. fun. Um, all right, we're picking up this story at the top of the Washington Monument. We get all those amazing action beats. We jump through the story really quick. This is a, a, a prelude that goes through the movie only two issues. So we jump through things pretty quickly, but really, really succinctly and done really well. Obviously, when you have a writer like Peter David holding down the fort, it's going to be uh, done really wonderfully. We go through the end, the uh, Aunt May opening the door moment of this issue, and uh, we're uh, preluding to Spider-Man Far From Home coming uh, later this year. Yeah, uh, one of the fun things about this is, yes, it is very much an adaptation, but Peter David gets to write some of Peter Parker's thoughts. Mm -hmm. So what you don't get in the film is what is going on inside Peter's head all the time. So you get that in this issue. Mm -hmm. All right, up next is Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 31. It is written by Simon Spurrier, art by Emilio Laiso and Andrea Borocardo, with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This one is... It's the feel-good issue of Afro we really need, <laughs> even though it is full of death and Afro gets shot and the Emperor shows up. Yep. It is actually kind of a feel-good issue. There's like <laughs> a positivity yeah. and sort of a clarity of the right thing to do right. uh, for a character who is notoriously always doing the worst thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then like there's another feel-good when a character returns and you're just like, Oh, I'm so happy they're alive. <laughs> like it, it's there. It's yeah. all there. Okay, next up we have more Star Wars action in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge number one. Uh, I know this is a highly anticipated story for a lot of people. The story is by Ethan Sachs. Hey, saw him on stage with Mr. Greg Pak at Star Wars Celebration this weekend. Chatting it up, talking all things Star Wars comics. It was great. Great to see those uh, great guys up there. The art of this book is by Will Sliney. Colors are by Dono Sanchez Almara with Proto Bunker. And letters are by VCs Travis Lanham. This obviously gives really incredible, valuable insight to Galaxy's Edge, the themed land uh, that is uh, opening soon in California and Florida. Uh, this is really fun, though, because while we get to know new characters in this story, characters like Doc Ondar and Remex and Kendo and Wuro, uh, characters that you will get to know if you open up these pages, we also are kind of introduced to this world, the world of Batu, by Han and Chewie. Uh, they're on a job here, and uh, we get to kind of enter this underworld through their eyes in a way big week for for uh everything star wars here and that just continues uh into this week with galaxy's edge number one and hey for ethan Sachs, a guy that i worked with really early on when he just started writing old man hawkeye uh his first marvel comic we were doing this like weekly th- kind of feature thing on marvel.com 
Great to see. Now he doesn't even want to return your calls. I know. It's true. Wow. What a D-bag. Uh, you know who's not a D-bag, though? Will Sliney, my sweet boy. I love Will. Great art in here. Like, he does such cool, detailed background work, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, all the work. But, yeah. like, you just look at the levels of the world, yeah. like the Galaxy's Edge sort of scenery that we we will come to know so well over time because we'll be going to the parks. He's setting that up for us now. It's really, really great. And also, Will may be listening to this. Uh, <laughs> he was talking about how he got such a nice, like, quiet lawnmower so he could listen to his podcasts while he, <laughs> he does his yard work. That's great. It was terrific. Uh, all right. Up next is Star Wars Vader Dark Visions number three. And it's That means it is Tucker's <laughs> second pick of the week. Uh, this one is written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam with art by David Lopez and Javi Pina, colors by Munsa Vicente, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is like this issue is like if Darth Vader was in um, what's the what's the Stephen King book turned movie? Uh, Langoliers. Nope. Keep going. Shining. Keep going. Uh, uh, it. Nope. Keep going. Uh, breaking. Breaking. With, breaking what, legs. What was, with, what was the one with Christopher uh, 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 dancing guy? Christopher uh, Walken. Uh, uh, the dead. The dead zone. Is that it? Nope. Uh, it's one word. Uh, uh, Kathy Bates. Uh, it. No. Uh, the Shining. <laughs> no. Uh, Pet Cemetery. No. Oh man, this is uh, a nightmare. Cell. No. Thing. Under the dome. No, it's the thing with the thing, and, and Kathy Bates breaks his legs. It. Boom. No. The Shining. No. Langoliers. No. Uh, uh, we've gotten so far off track here. Misery. Misery. I, was, I, was try- I couldn't think of any others. Misery. Uh, order. Order in the court. Okay. This is like. If Darth Vader was in misery, in a way, because um, we went so far out there <laughs> to get to like the most loose, like kind of like not great comparison. Anyway, it's like we drove off the highway <laughs> to get to a rest stop, and the rest stop was a urinal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was that's it. it. Most of my thoughts are could be described as just like urinal. <laughs> Another urinal thought. Anyway, um, can we get back on track? It. About it's Vader. the power of the pencils, just making us nuts. Anyway. Uh, because there is a character who's kind of part of the like Imperial medical team who just kind of perchance happens across Vader gets contact with this incredibly powerful figure in the Empire and is just kind of instantly transfixed, obsessed, mesmerized by him, by his power, by uh, his aura, everything about him. And so we enter the story in that way. We follow this character. We follow her throughout the story. We see her little moments where essentially she's just peeking around corners and getting glimpses of the Dark Lord. And then we see where her mind goes after that and has these strange and weird romantic visions. And you could call those visions dark. Uh, I would. Uh, this is an anthology series that has told a bunch of different stories, a bunch of different stories that we've spoken about so often make use of Darth Vader in this great Voorhees, Jason Voorhees-esque way where he's kind of around the corner. He's a presence. You feel his presence more than you even see him. But when you see him, he really um, makes a huge impact. It's really awesome to see uh, an entire series essentially focused on how Darth Vader impacts the people around him, how his presence, how his just kind of 
evil impacts the everyday Imperial officers. And uh, this is another spectacular entry. And like the way she takes pieces of him or like, you know, he comes in and he needs medical assistance and there's like they're pulling glass out of him. And so they leave the glass and she comes to clean up. And so she's like, ooh, it's got his blood. And, you know, the scenes you probably don't see are her like smelling it, licking it, like (laughs) hugging it. It's just like real intense stuff. And it's that sense of madness and obsession is told so well because David, just sweet man, wonderful, amazing artist. Everything he touches, in my opinion, is golden. Yeah. And like the way he draws her, who I don't think she's even named in this. Right. It's really twisted up. And like the look in her eyes. Oh, man, it is. And then the ending. That ending. Seriously. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. Pick it up. We're a scob (laughs) podcast now. (laughs) Hey, I'm up next. This is uh, Superior Spider-Man number five. It's written by Christos Gage with pencils by Mike Hawthorne, inks by Wade Von Graubadger and Andy Owens, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. This series now is totally defined by something I saw Marvel Comics editor Chris Robinson say on Twitter, which is that... Superior Spider-Man is really giving him what he loves with a jerk hero. It's a very unique thing, and it's something I love as well, and I think it just absolutely hits the nail on the head about why this is such a satisfying series, why it's such a a fun series to read, because it's the Superior Spider-Man. It's Otto Octavius, and he's doing good, but he's doing good in like the most just jerk way. This is a kind of messed up issue as well because something goes down with uh, a side character in here that is twisted and gross and awful and uh, to see how the superior spidey reacts to that and then eventually teams up with dr strange which was really awesome that's just a, a collection of different dynamics that is just really fun to throw into a cauldron and mix around and see what comes out and then it just explodes at the end there's a really cool fun thing that happens at the end that I can't wait to see an entire issue of. I really of. want to say what it is. It's I know. two words yeah. that I put together. I yes. like, oh, this I'm is a, sure I was thinking the same this thing. This is a fun thing. It's and... not a thing, but I'm sure we both landed on the same thing yeah. in terms of what it's called. All right, up next is Thanos number one, and this was nearly one of my picks. Uh, it is so, so good. This one is written by Teeny Howard with art by Ariel Olivetti, colors by Antonio Fabela, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Tons of variant covers for you if you are someone who loves the variants. There's some really cool ones here. But man, what an issue. Thanos is depressed. He's mentally disturbed. And he's also in command of a huge army. So you have Teeny telling the story of someone who is in a very dangerous position. Mm-hmm. And it's set in the past, so you get to see a few members of the Black Order in their younger years, less tempered and terrifying, but still very deadly. There's really cool haunted house vibes that are set up in the ship. There's even this point where this character is like, all right, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And then it's like, yeah, yesterday there was a, a wall here or a door, <laughs> and now it's closed off. What is happening? Like the sense that even the ship is disturbed. Yeah. There's, there's something off about all of it. Olivetti's art has this European Mobius type vibe, finely detailed, cool designs and like the creatures and the alien buildings. There's this gorgeous spread with Thanos and the Magus that is, is very cool. But ultimately, this is a story about 
Thanos and Gamora and how this relationship starts out. And we get to see that in this issue. Totally. I just realized that I've been holding off on the second bit of pencil yeah, knowledge was, for too I long. I was waiting. Because that means I, that it's just de facto been built up so much. I'm sure listeners are just on the edge of their seats waiting. What? What is it? What is it? Anyway. Chekhov's pencil. Because it's, yes, exactly. And it's not going to satisfy you whatsoever. I found myself doing the, uh, like, David Letterman pencil stuff. And then, hey, like. Hey, got any gum? <laughs> yeah. Talking, talking. And then, like, in my mind, asking, like, asking Paul about Marvel stuff that I'm reading. I'm like, hey, Paul, you ever hear about Venom? What about this Venom guy? Yeah, yeah, Venom, Venom. Oh, Venom. <laughs> anyway, that's it. Pop, 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 pop. Throw the pencil. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I was trying to think of a good Paul Schaefer, like Venom Joe, like Venom. I didn't even know him. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, something so terrible. Bing, bing, bling, 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 the piano. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, next issue is Venom number 13. This is a War of the Realms tie in. It's written by Colin Bunn, illustrated by Ivan Coelho, colored by Andreas Mosen, lettered by VCs. Clayton Cowles. This issue takes place after War of the Realms number one, which uh, came out a few weeks ago now. So make sure you've read that before jumping into this one. This is really interesting connection between a bunch of different things because we're taking the Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, Venom story and character and uh, weaving that into this very specific and unique War of the Realms story as Malekith and his dark forces continue to take over the world, Eddie is going to have to deal with that, and he has to look out for those around him. And what this issue really was all about for me, though, is one, I love Ivan Kuala's art. I think he's really incredible. I think it takes a lot to do issues of this Venom run uh, with the the looks defined by Ryan Stegman, such an incredible artist, And uh, but I just think he does a, an amazing job. The Venom that we get in this story, though, is so cool. It's this uniquely powered up, uniquely super deadly, really cool design, axe wielding venom. It is kind of leaner and kind of maybe more like agile in a way. Uh, like I said, it's really awesome to get this venom story and, and see how that impacts with War of the Realms. I think it uh, it works really well. Still beheads a troll. So yeah. it's definitely very dangerous. Yeah. Little thought experiment. Yeah. Picture Eddie in that book is not Eddie Brock. But Eddie Izzard. Whoa! Put that in your head, then read all of Venom. Whoa! Make sure you read War of the Realms number one, and then make sure you've, you know, I don't know, watched Ocean's Thirteen or something. <laughs> a, that, that's your go-to Eddie first Izzard. Eddie Izzard on-screen thing that comes to mind. Or like any of his stand-up, like yeah, like yeah, specials. yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, up next is War of the Realms Uncanny X-Men number one, written by Matthew Rosenberg, drawn by Perry Perez, colored by Rochelle Rosenberg, lettered by VCs Travis Lanham. We had another story by Perry this week in Marvel yeah. Comics Presents. Man, busy, busy. Very good. This one has the, the characters everyone's been waiting for. Nanny and Orphan Maker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nanny and Orphan Maker are <laughs> real fun. Uh, I was very excited to see them. They're super weird. Nanny has a, like, a low telepathic ability, and then she was working for this group, and they were anti-mutant. Nanny, nanny. That precisely. And how far back can we take our references today? <laughs> Isn't it Nanu Nanu? Yeah, it is. Okay, great. Uh, and then they put her into like a cybernetic body 
And then she sort of lost her mind in there. And then she was trying to save mutant kids. And one of the mutant kids she saved used to belong to, like, was being held by Sinister. Mm. And his powers were super dangerous. So she put him in, like, a a special suit that made him really strong. And that's Orphan Maker. (laughs) And they have, like, this really twisted way to try and save mutant kids from their parents or other people who would do them harm. But they're always just getting up to no good yeah and they show up here uh they were on that list that matthew wrote into right uncanny x-men like a you know a month or two ago so it's cool to see that followed up on uh and that's just half the issue like the second half gets the x-men into the middle of war of the realms uh, you get to see banshee blast through the head of a frost giant like <laughs> from the back of his head through his mouth it is fantastic and so gross uh, the sense of scale for the power and the the overwhelming forces sent by Malekith is really well told here because the X-Men, they get divided, they get smashed down, they're on the run. You get that sense of hopelessness against Malekith's mm-hmm. forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last page ties directly into the end of War of the Realms number two. It is heartbreaking. All right, last issue this week is Wolverine the Long Night number four. This is the adaptation of... The podcast, it's written by Benjamin Percy, we spoke about a little bit earlier in uh, one of my picks of the week with art by Marcio Takara, colors by Matt Mila, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. The powder keg of Burns, Alaska has kind of been lit. Things are going a little bit insane there from the kind of cult influence to uh, the looming presence and mystery around Wolverine. I really love this kind of part of the story as it really feels like things are ramping up action-wise. A lot of reveals are happening. I think our agents specifically are, they're kind of sputtering. It feels like they're really trying to catch up with something that they're finding is bigger and bigger and bigger than they ever could have imagined. We also get Wolverine in a, kind of more and more of an agent mode, you know, in terms of his own agency in the story. We see him take things into his own hands. We see him encounter characters in more and more ways and in ways that are, uh, you know, really specifically to him and ways that I think are written really wonderfully by Ben Percy. That is Wolverine the Long Night. Uh, All right, that's what you'll find on sale at your local comic shops this week. And collections on sale this week include... Black Order, The War Masters of Thanos. Highly recommend that one. Really good. Despicable Deadpool, Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter. Huge recommendation there. Uh, Marvel Knights 20th, Shuri Volume 1, The Search for Black Panther, Spider-Man Light in the Darkness, Star Wars Legends Epic Collection, The Empire Volume 5, The Unstoppable Wasp, Unlimited Volume 1, Fix Everything, and... Venom by Donny Cates, Volume 2, The Abyss. Yeah, a lot of, some really great collections out. Uh, If you don't have them, you should jump on those. Freshly digitized on Marvel Unlimited. I don't have the full list. We couldn't get it in time. But you get the first issue of Shuri is available on Marvel Unlimited this week. Venom Annual is on there. X-Men Black Mystique. Uh, Marvel Zombie, number one. Infinity Wars Weapon Hex, number one. Uh, some Runaways. Tons of really fun stuff in here. Ooh, what if Ghost Rider, number one? That's the one... With the Marvel offices, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so trippy. Yeah. yeah. Real trippy. <laughs> lot of Ricky Purden's up in there. Yeah. It is great. You guys have to check that out. It's all on Marvel Unlimited. Full list Tucker will be putting on the website. Yeah. And there we go. That's it. Uh, if you like us a little unhinged, let us know. Tweet to uh, Agent M. 
Or at Tucker Marcus, M-A-R-K-U-S. But most importantly, to Persia Verlin, yeah. P-E-R-C-I-A-V-E-R-L-I-N, tell her, you want more of those boys being a little yeah. out there. More nanny-nanny action. I'm Ryan. <laughs> and I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe. <laughs>